Welcome to the Gangster Museum of America After Dark. And now, here's your host, Robert Rains. Thank you, Steve. Welcome back. Our guest is Colonel Lynn Davis, FBI man, U.S. Marshal, and most importantly to folks in Hot Springs and Arkansas the director of the Arkansas State Police, when Winthrop Rockefeller decided to close down gambling here. So, Lynn, let's get back. You've raided. You got the guys running down the street to uh, stop the raids, and they were good enough to tell you that the raids wouldn't count if they were done before daylight. And so you put a hold on it, and everything went off smoothly. But there was a little bit of uh, a little bit of blowback from the uh, operation, wasn't there? Yeah, I went, I went back to Little Rock and uh, the uh, Attorney General, Joe Purcell at that time, advised us to not destroy the machines. I had always said that that was uh, bygone days. You know, there's a new, uh, new lawman in town and we're not gonna have the people thumbing their nose at the law. And uh, so uh, I believed that since this was a new day, I would give everybody a chance to do what they were supposed to do. Uh, you know, everything's bygones, bygones. Chief police could be uh, uh, in Dutch Acres and all of these people, not, not at that time, but they had been in the past. Uh, criminals, hoodlums, gangsters, uh, they were on, on the payroll. No question about it. But uh, we took machines that we had gotten from the uh, from the clubs here and turned them over to the police, police department. I kept waiting for them to destroy the, uh, the machines. Word of destruction, let me know when you've destroyed them or whatever. And uh, uh, one day uh, an informant called me. And he said, uh, you know, the machines you gave to the police department, they didn't destroy them. Uh, there were eight people who signed an affidavit saying that they'd seen the destruction of these machines. And uh, he said they didn't destroy them. And he told me uh, where they were. He told me about the, uh, about the two repair shops where they had taken these machines. So we get a posse together and we, We'd come back and uh, scope out the, uh, use undercovers to go and knock on the door and sell in newspapers or something, uh, magazines or something, and find out how many people are there and whatever. And so we uh, got a search warrant and raided the uh, two repair shops. And there are the machines that that we had uh, 18 of the machines that had the troopers' initials and the dates and all of that that hadn't even been touched. We, of course, took those machines and 
took them out and burned them at a uh, gravel pit out east of town here between here and, and Little Rock. Hot Springs, at least in the past, has always been fairly resilient in overcoming obstruction to what they wanted to do. They were almost like water. It seeks its own level and keeps moving on. They got a subpoena or they were going to attempt to get a subpoena to try to find out who your informant is, I guess. But what eventually came of all that? I said it won't be necessary to get a subpoena. Just uh, tell me when the commission is going to meet and I'll be there. So I did and, uh, and told them what happened. And they said, well, you can't prove that. And I said, well, uh, what if I had the guy who drove the truck who returned the machines from the uh, gravel pit, three or four of them, back to the uh, back to the repair shops? You can't do that. And so, so we had already identified, of course, the driver of the truck, and uh, and so I had the uh, uh, I think it was the captain that was with me. Uh, to go out and uh, and get this guy, and uh, he came and looked like he had lost his last friend having to testify that he was the one that picked the machines up and uh, from the gravel pit and took them out to the repair shop. I would assume after all of this that about half the town wanted to kill you. Well, I doubt that there were 50%. There were, there were two uh, contracts uh, out on me uh, at one time. It was uh, pretty well split, uh, an open versus a closed town. And uh, a lot of people, a lot of people, as a matter of fact, the whole town lived on gambling and prostitution and whatever. When it was closed, it was Orville Phobos, uh only closed it down when election time was coming about. Uh, I identified his bag man, the, the, the guy who took the bag and to the state capitol. And uh, that was an open, open secret. Uh, but yeah, there were people who <laughs> wished me ill. But uh, as my son said, I knew about two, but he said, you don't know about the ones that that you don't know about. As you know, a lot of times, they don't really have to knock you off to get rid of you. They found a loophole in the law that was created back when the GIs were getting rid of McLaughlin, the uh, tyrannical mayor here, and ended up getting rid of you due to that, didn't they? How long did you last after the raids of Hot Springs? I was director of state police uh, 137 days. We did, we did all of this in 137 days. But uh, the uh, law was that the director of the state police had to be a resident 10 years next preceding his appointment. And the reason for that was that Sid McMath and the GIs were coming back to Arkansas and taking over everything. The director of the state police had been there for years, and all of this had been going on. And, you know, I mean, it was an open town as far as gambling was concerned. So uh, this law was specifically passed, I think, to protect the 
present director of the state police at that time, they held, the Supreme Court held that it was, uh, that, it, that residency meant physical residence rather than voting residence. Voting residence is uh, where your heart is. And, uh, uh, but they held later in December, they held that it was uh, physical residence. So at the end of your 137-day reign as Colonel Lynn Davis, head of the Arkansas State Police, what'd you do? Do you have to pack up and move? Well, first of all, we lived on, uh, on the Arkansas State Police property there on Roosevelt Road uh, in a uh, three-bedroom house that had been built for the director of the Arkansas State Police. And uh, once the Supreme Court came down and said I wasn't eligible, I immediately loaded everything up, and uh, Jeanette Rockefeller, Wynn's wife, had called my wife and invited us up to Winrock Farms uh, to spend Christmas. So we went up and uh, put our stuff in storage and went to Winrock Farms and stayed in a guest house. And like Bill Fulbright said, that's the, what God would have done with the world if it had money. <laughs> Every kind of uh, nut imaginable, pistachios, pecans, uh, walnuts, peanuts, uh, every kind of beer you could imagine, uh, gifts for the kids and us and whatever, big tree and, and uh, <laughs> it was something. And they invited us to have Christmas dinner with them, but we had always gone to my folks' uh, house for Christmas. But he's a wonderful, wonderful man, Wynn Rockefeller. What was your role after leaving the state police? Well, after I left state police, I was an advisor to uh, Wynn. As a matter of fact, I mostly drafted the mixed drink law and drafted the legislation making a public service uh, department, uh, National Guard, Alcoholic Beverage Control, state police, and one or two other agencies, making them under one head. And none of this was ever, it was completely turned down by the legislature until, uh, until the next administration sponsored it and uh, Dale Bumpers, and all of a sudden it's the greatest thing that ever came down the pike, and so the legislature passed it, which was fine. But then I, uh, uh, I did an investigation on the uh, bodies that were supposedly tortured and buried at, uh, at uh, what I call comings and goings. Uh, that's uh, the... Uh, there was a, uh, an inmate who claimed that there were, he first claimed there were hundreds of people tortured and killed and buried on the, on the farm. Well, being from Arkansas, I knew there were hundreds of people killed at the farm, but they were buried someplace out in the field. They weren't placed in lines like these people were. And uh, we changed over from the... Uh, trusty system to uh, free world system. The first time I ever went to the penitentiary, I had to give up my gun to an inmate who kept the front gate, Lynn Rockefeller, 
uh, uh, first time he ever went to the pen. You have to, there are no guns on, on the property except the inmates have them. And uh, that's a story in itself, the way the trustee system worked and what it took to uh, change from the trustee system to the free world system, which I'm not sure it's that much better. Yeah, I remember when they found a lot of bodies down there in Cummins and maybe even Tucker, but uh, I was living in Pine Bluff at the time. Whatever, whatever happened? Oh, um, first of all, I interviewed uh, Reuben uh, Johnson, who was the person who claimed that, uh, uh, that there were hundreds of people that were buried on the farm. And uh, uh, finally, he got to the point where he was saying there were thousands buried. <laughs> and so I, I knew there weren't thousands, but uh, I found a, I didn't find it, but a uh, major with state police came up with a uh, scrapbook that had been kept of some of those people that were they that Reuben Johnson claimed had been killed. Uh, it was a uh, a uh, riot at the penitentiary. I forget the year now, but there were 28 or 29 people who'd escaped, never accounted for. And he claimed that these people had been killed because they were ringleaders. Well, this lady in uh, Jefferson County, someplace down there around the penitentiary. She had pictures of all of these people and what had happened to them. They were, two of them were hanged in Texas. Uh, two or three were shot during bank robberies and there were only two or three of those 20 some odd never accounted for. The rest of them were accounted for. Uh, hanged, uh, killed, shot, whatever. Well, that's even more amazing Arkansas history that you were involved in. But I want to bring it back home to Hot Springs. Before you came, what, what did you know about Owen Madden? I didn't, I didn't know about Owen Madden's involvement in Hot Springs at that time. But, uh, but he was quite involved, even though he had been... Uh, He'd been given his marching orders out of New York. They said, the mob told him that you can either go to Hot Springs, Arkansas, specifically Hot Springs, Arkansas. And it was that simple. And they meant it. Uh, Noni Madden uh, brought a, uh, a book for uh, race results in from Carlos Marcello's. Uh, he was a mafioso. He was capo for the New Orleans district of the mafia. And uh, he brought the uh, book. The racing results were uh, sent by telephone here to Hot Springs. Oni Madden sold that service to the bookies in Little Rock. And, uh, but there are pictures in the newspapers of that day showing a whole bunch of people who would be in this, like this room here, full of people, and they have a tote board up there giving race results from Hialeah, from uh, California, and all of the races uh, all across the country. It's a wire. And it wasn't, uh, it wasn't against the law then. Uh, as a matter of fact, Clay White, who was uh, 
special agent with the FBI assigned here, hounded by Mr. Hoover to get something on Oni Madden. He claimed Oni Madden was the godfather of all godfathers. <laughs> and, uh, but uh, Clay said that he was just, he said over at Southern Club, which he owned until they got hot after him. And then he sold the Southern Club, quote unquote. As a matter of fact, Oni Madden had strung the wires all over. He had a guy that worked for Southwestern Bell who strung the wires all over the, uh, the uh, hotel where uh, Oni had set his uh, uh, racing wire up. And part of it went across the uh, Arlington Hotel, which was a federal property, not the Arlington Hotel, but the property adjoining there. And uh, they were about to get Oni for that, but Oni beat him to the punch and had Cuba immersed. His attorney uh, write a letter telling them that Oni had taken that wire down so that it was no longer a uh, federal violation. I remember those wires all over the streets. A lot of us came over here either to go to the lakes or, or came over with our parents and we did something else and they may have gone in the clubs. Frankly, I never knew it was illegal. It was so wide open. But when you were living in Texarkana, did you, did you come over here when the clubs were going when you were younger, before you got into law enforcement? As a matter of fact, I roomed, I won't mention his name, but I roomed with a kid at the University of Arkansas whose dad was one of the, one of the gangsters here. And uh, he wanted me to come down and go to the races one weekend, and I came down. And uh, the dad gave us the keys to a limo and $100 a piece, a lot of money. As a matter of fact, the week before we came down, uh, there was a bomb planted in, in his uh, shrubbery. So that was, uh, there were very few uh, times like that when the mob was trying to move in. It was more uh, neutral territory. I don't know how the people of Hot Springs in Garland County stood it because it was either feast or famine. If they weren't running, town was dead. If they were running, it was full. So there are people who today say, we need gambling. And as a matter of fact, we do have it at the racetrack. Well, let me thank Colonel Lynn Davis for a great interview and and Steve, something else I was thinking about, you know, that bit about the prison system and the bodies being buried, I really do remember that. I think the director of the prison systems actually wrote a book that a movie was based on. You're the IMDb guru. What, what was that? That would be the 1980 film called Brubaker, which was based on the 1969 book Accomplices to the Crime, the Arkansas Prison Scandal authored by Thomas Merton and Joe Hymans, and starring Robert Redford. And another interesting factor too, Nicolas Cage makes his film debut in Brubaker, and Brubaker was also the first credited film for Morgan Freeman. That is amazing history. Tune in next time for more amazing history on TGMOA After Dark.